Hello and welcome to Apostolic Voice. I am your host, Ryan French. Today I'm having a conversation with Bishop T.L. Craft, and I'm unable to adequately articulate how Bishop Craft has impacted my life and ministry. He's best known around the world as the Bishop of First United Pentecostal Church of Jackson, Mississippi. To thousands like my mother who attended Jackson College of Ministries, he left an indelible imprint as JCM's founder and president. Many think of Bishop Craft as a pastor's pastor and a friend's friend. He's the definition of a scholar and a gentleman. Untold numbers of ministers, preachers, teachers, pastors, evangelists, and missionaries found their start under T.L. Craft's kind-hearted tutelage. Furthermore, hundreds of dynamic women of God, like my precious wife, credit Bishop Craft as the pastor that enabled them to launch out successfully into life and ministry. But if you ramble past the thick haze of accolades and success, you'll see a man who is steadfastly apostolic, warm, sincere, and eminently approachable. Bishop Kraft recently turned 90, although he seems much younger. His mind is sharp and his thirst for knowledge remains unquenchable. When I walked into his home to record this podcast, he was well-dressed and just as dapper as always. The only hint of aging was the residual pain and mobility issues associated with a minor stroke. While talking with or observing Bishop Kraft, I've always felt that he could have been wildly successful within any vocation or occupation. He has an enviable knack for making anyone feel totally at ease within seconds. It's not a show or a put on. It's just who he is at the core. He genuinely likes people and they really want to like him right back because of it. His consistent, approachable demeanor is a refreshing departure from the unfortunate arm's-length attitude many high-profile preachers adopt towards people outside their inner circle. After spending just a few minutes with Bishop Kraft, it's easy to see why he's had to build a lot of new buildings over the years to accommodate church growth. Bishop and I talked about the importance of receiving and handling criticism in a healthy way, a little bit of his life story, pastoring, funny church stories, advice for young ministers, book recommendations, commentary recommendations, and more. Quick note, go to ryanafrench.com to find links for all the books Bishop Kraft mentions in this episode, or you can click the links in the show notes as well. And the icing on the cake is that Bishop and Sister Martha Kraft joined my family for a special Kraft edition of Gross Good Great. We tasted and rated Oreo's 110th birthday chocolate fudge and confetti Oreo cookies. Wow, I had no idea Oreo's was 110 years old. Let's get to it. Be back in 60 seconds with Bishop Kraft. back to Apostolic Voice. I'm your host, Ryan French, and I'm incredibly honored to be sitting face-to-face with Bishop Kraft here in Jackson, Mississippi, one of my absolute favorite preachers and ministers of the gospel and a hero of mine. Bishop, thank you so much for taking time to do this today. We're glad to do it. I do this sometime for other people, other people that urge me to do it. So we'll do it right. 
Well, thank you. You know, I thought I was special for many years. You probably don't even remember this, but when I was an evangelist, I have so many memories of going to conferences or a church service, and you would walk up and slip a $100 bill in my pocket or <laughs> or <laughs> slip it in my hand. And uh, I have many memories of being at a restaurant full of apostolics after a meeting. I wouldn't even know you were in the restaurant and I would go to get my bill, and the server would say, well, Bishop Kraft has already paid for your meal. And so I thank you for that. And uh, But I thought I was very special because you did that for me. And then over the years, I found out that's just who you are. You do that for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what my wife says. <laughs> You're known for that. and and uh, But I'll tell you what, you don't even know it, but you probably saved my life many times. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. I truly do. Before we uh, were recording, you were talking about what Elon Musk thinks about criticism. And could you talk about that? Because it was so fascinating. And I'd love for everyone to hear what you were just saying about that. Of course, Elon Musk is one of my favorite people. I have uh, an article when he first arrived at Silicon Valley. <clears throat> I said to myself and to my wife, uh, they won't know what hit them. Mm. But now he didn't have all of that in mind, but a very brilliant person. And he invites criticism. Mm. He said, I'd rather have a critic talk to me than somebody just praising my work. Wow. He's that way I find out what's wrong with me, what's wrong with uh, my product, what's uh, wrong with why they don't like my product or why they would not prefer my product. And he said, I make adjustments. Mm. So uh, I thought of that when I heard him. That's kind of been my philosophy through life. I've never shied away from criticism because I think these critics and skeptics have good thinking. Mm. And they're thinking like a whole lot more people than just one. They represent. They represent probably thousands or even millions of people. And uh, so I just take time and take this out as an entrance to a conversation about God and creation and whatever comes along. And that's so interesting to me because that's the opposite of how we usually approach evangelism. (laughs) (laughs) Usually we want to set ourselves up as the we have no... Nothing to be critical of. How dare you criticize anything about me? But here you're flipping that on its head. And I've seen you do this. I've seen you in conversations with people, invite them to be critical of something, you know, or ask questions. Correct. And, but I'd never thought of it this way, but it opens up a door. Oh, yeah. That you couldn't open any other ways, doesn't it? That's right. And, And it becomes more their conversation then you just opened it up yourself. And so uh, it's just kind of a thing that comes natural, and it's always come natural with me. Uh, I built my first church way out west, west Texas, in fact. Mm. Uh, not too far from where uh, Jeff Bezos was born. Oh, really? This side of El Paso, about so many miles. Fascinating. And when he landed the other day with his... Uh, Lander, when that guy from Captain Kirk stepped off of it and he was crying, 
I couldn't help but think about all these times. But I said that to say that uh, there was nobody out there but just a few people. And I went in this little town and opened up a uh, an American Legion Hall. I dusted off all the dust and set up a card table. And I preached for three weeks, almost three weeks, and took up an offering and got back in 1953. I took up $23,000, mm. which... Now, I don't know what that would be. It'd be a whole lot of money. But I said that to say that uh, I've adopted the uh, attitude, just go through life, and whoever confronts you or has a criticism or has a negative thing, just turn it around. It works out real, real good. Have you used that same philosophy as a pastor with saints in your church, if if a criticism's ever brought or has been, do you, do you approach it the same way, or do you have a different way you approach it in that setting? I use the approach it the same way. Wow. <laughs> Try to use it for good rather than for, for good. evil. Yes, absolutely. It always it's so far, and I've turned ninety. In case anybody would happen to wonder, it's worked pretty good. So I'll just probably stick with it. Yeah, it sure has. Was your father a people person? Was your mother a people person? Or did you come by that on your own? All of the crafts and all the blackwells are people. People. My youngest uncle, which is named Woodrow, he owned the biggest state farm agency in uh, Texas. Oh, wow. In Richardson, Texas. So he had to be a people person. Yeah. My... Next to the old other other uncle, he was Uncle Ed, him, and Amzie. All got the Holy Ghost. And my grandmother all prayed through to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the same meeting. And they're all people, people, people. So that's part of your DNA yeah. to to be a, to love people and yeah. to conversate with people. Uh, wouldn't be much different personality wise if i was catholic or baptist wow personalities i guess it's baked in some way in some way now where did your family receive was it in texas that they received the holy ghost my uh grandmother who lived to be 97 and she's nothing wrong with her she just decided to die mm. and uh uh there's nine children and she was she was uh, 38. Her husband died at 39. And they owned a 100-acre little farm in Texas. It's close to Brady and Juan, and nobody knows where Juan is but me. <laughs> and she kept them all at home after her husband died. She kept them at home and raised them when the last person died uh, married. She broke up housekeeping, went living with the children. My daddy and uh, his uh, friend named Tom McKinnis, they uh, had, uh, they moved across from uh, North Carolina down into 
Smith County, Mississippi. Oh, wow. And then they moved across the river, Mississippi River, into Little Vernon Parish, which in Louisiana counties are called parishes, I'm sure you know. And uh, they bought 160 acres next to each other. Each of them had nine children. Wow. So I was born and raised in the midst of them. So a big family. A giant family. <laughs> Tom, you had two, two, nine kids, double first cousins, all of them living in the same area. And I thought every one of them loved me to the nth degree. So I never did have any hang-ups on that score. I guess that's partly because of who raised you as well. Sure, yeah. How old were you when you received the Holy Ghost? I was 11. Wow. Was it a revival or a regular service? Um, what? This is interesting. Sister Rich, most of you listening would know her, but she was a famous uh, woman evangelist. And she is the sister to Sister Tinny. Oh, wow. Who is the, uh, you maybe have known of or heard of Brother Tinny. He's known worldwide. But <clears throat> this is his wife, and this was her sister. Oldest sister, there were four girls in the family. And this one became a preacher, and she preached in Louisiana. And she preached there three or four weeks at the little town where I was from. And I went to the altar and cried and repented the first night. I could have gotten the Holy Ghost, but my understanding was that you had to go to the altar and cry first. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then you could receive this wonderful gift that we talk so much about, the Holy Spirit. Well, I received it the next night. My buddy the next day at school said, did you get that Holy Ghost? I said, no, but I will tonight. He said, how do you know? I said, because I cried last night. <laughs> Any idea why you thought that? Just no, it was just no, in your mind. No reason. Now, were you baptized later, or had baptized you already been baptized? The next week. Wow, that's amazing. In a pond. I mean, in a little stream. When did you first feel called to the ministry? You know, that's a real good question. We're always teaching young people. Uh, when I was four and five. I can remember being visited by God, I guess. But I was super sensitive mm. to preaching, singing. And I, when I heard we had met, not long been moved back from Texas, uh, my dad had gone out there working oil field, and he decided that was too rough. So he built a barber shop, and he had a number of people working for him. He worked in the shade. But his other brothers didn't stay, stay long. But uh, you asked me what question was that? When you first felt called to the oh, ministry. I never did not feel called. Amazing. It doesn't matter how to go about it. And that's what, where I was coming from. As far back as I can remember, I felt called to do something for God. Even through school, uh, middle school, high school, whatever school I was in. I graduated, and in the middle of the Korean War, 
and they were drafting people, and I, uh, I didn't want to put down uh, that I was going to Bible school mm. because you got automatic 4D. Really? And my best friend was called, and he went to Korea, and six months he got shot mm. and killed. And I went on to Bible school, but I've always missed the idea of I didn't go to the Army. Wow. But I knew from the time I can remember anything that I, had, I was going to preach. So it wasn't a big no, question for no. you ever. Now, and this is all I've ever done all of my life. Wow. For all of my life. I never have done anything but this. So I've learned how, whatever to do to be the best at it. Because I now have struggled with of carpentry or engineering or science or anything. I just remember, I just knew that I had to call, was called to preach. That's awesome. And uh, I just had to find out how to go about it. You know, I think most people think of you as always being the pastor and bishop in Jackson, Mississippi, but that wasn't your first pastorate, was it? Uh, well, no, I never did think I would pastor a church someone else built. Mm. I always thought I'd pastor, I mean, I'd build a church and then pastor it. And I thought I'd start my own little organizations. I built 10, 10 churches and they'd all tithe to me and I'd, I'd be getting as much money as they would. Yeah. So that didn't work out, but I built a church in West Texas, and it's still standing. And we visited the other day, and it's full of people. I built a church in South Louisiana, and it's still standing, and everything's going fine. Then I built a church. People don't know this, but I built a church in McGee, Mississippi. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Uh, things got kind of slack here for one summer. I had the choir to go down and sing at McGee, Mississippi. Wow. And uh, we gathered enough people. They started driving up here to church. I said, let's build one down there. So the church you see in McGee was, uh, I, uh, I built it, and and, uh, and and it's a nice church. It's been a, Brother Carl Varnell came along, and he took the church and made a supporting church out of it. Wow. So it's a good church. That's incredible. That's three buildings. Uh, I built three here in Jackson, 1505 Robinson. That was complete, almost complete, by the former pastor, Brother Gambling, Older people may remember that name, but yeah. younger people would not. But the Gamblin, G-A-M-B-L-I-N. And I, he was on the radio here 10 years, and I was on the radio 25 years. Wow. So it made the oldest continuous religious broadcast in Mississippi. 35 years. 35 years. That's awesome. And we had... We had a lot of success over radio. Over radio. Back then, it was it was radio. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was the thing to do. And um, then we built a church at 
3425 Robinson. I, I had a a Brush Harbor meeting. The last Brush Harbor meeting was in Louisiana. I I built it. And I got a picture of the baptism. Mm. Now there's a church building there. It's wow. been there for a long time. And so actually, I pioneered a number of places. That's incredible. And then evangelized for a long time. By myself, then got married. We evangelized for a number of years. Then we came to Jackson. How old were you when you came to Jackson? Do you remember? I was 30. Oh, you were still young. My wife was 24. Still young, weren't you? (laughs) She was young. Wow. You'd done a lot of hard work before you ever came to Jackson. (laughs) Ever came to Jackson, yeah. That's incredible. I was 30. I was, uh, she came in July the 29th, and I would have been 31 in, uh, October 30th. So that's a long time. Almost 60 but years. We've got uh, we've got people all over the world. Yeah. Scattered around from Jackson. Well, I married I one of your you Jackson did. girls. And so I thank you and, very much. And you're counted in the group. I'm in the group now. Thank you're, you so you're much. Well, in the group cuz you married one of the best girls in town. Well, I'm biased, but I think I no, absolutely you did. did. I wanted to marry her. <laughs> well, she asked you to marry her yeah. at one point. Yeah. <laughs> I think but she was we, pretty young, but we, we couldn't. Yeah, she was about t- eight or nine, ten, <laughs> something like that. Well, I'm I'm a witness that you're one of the greatest pastors. I've you've never been my pastor, but you were my wife's pastor, and I know yeah. you flat were an amazing pastor to her, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. But you got to go to Jackson to get a, a, a wonderful girl. Good guy. Yeah. Good girl, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I agree. We have as many girls that have made good preachers like yourself as we have guys that come out of here preaching. But I say the last time I figured it up, the girls that have married preachers, the preachers that have married girls from here, they're about 150 that's amazing. 170, maybe. Because that was a long time ago. We figured that up and wrote it down. And all over the world. Yeah. They're all They're over the world. missionaries and everything. Besides, <clears throat> we established a little a Bible college here for a while. And besides that, that's just from our church. Yeah. Do you remember that my mother went to Jackson? I do remember. Yeah. I remember her distinctly. Do you? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> And I remind your dad of it every now Yes, and yes. <laughs> well, she loved it. That's for if sure. She don't, you don't treat her right, we'll take her back. That's right. That's right. Well, we sure try to because she's amazing. Great, great thing. And maybe you that are listening don't know who you're talking to with, um, with Ryan. He's one of our finest young men. In the Pentecostal Church, brilliant, smart, industrious, motivator, and he's motivated. So you don't have to worry about him. He's uh, he's square on every corner. Well, I really appreciate that. I, that means the world to hear you say that. Would you give any advice to? I I love your story talking about always knowing that you were called to the ministry because. I see so many younger men now that wrestle, 
you know, they're not sure. And I'm not, I don't understand exactly. I'm kind of like you. I, I felt called. I can't remember when I didn't feel called really to the ministry. What advice do you have for people that are seeking the will of God? How, how can they pray about that? I don't know the answer to that 100%, but I have some advice for those people that I feel sorry for. By the time they go, go through high school or they go on to go to college or they go on to Bible school somewhere, they're still not uh, for sure what they want to do. Yeah. The earlier in life you can make up your mind what you're going to do, the easier life is. But if you're called to preach, drop everything and do it. Yes, sir. I know you may have to work a little on the side, but that's purely a side job. If you're working at a church or you're working to build a church, I tried it two ways. West Texas, I said, uh, well, there's enough people pray through and ties coming in. I don't, I don't guess I'll work. So I didn't for about six months. And I'd build in a building and laying the block and pouring the concrete. Uh, with all of that, I kept wondering, maybe I should go to work. Because mm. I could go to work part-time and meet people. So that's what I did. I went to work at a grocery store. Wow. I worked everything from the meat department to the produce department. And uh, I was 21. But the reason I did that in my mind, I said, I'm doing this to meet people. Because in a small town like that, ranchers and farmers and people that lived out of town would come shop Yeah, on Friday and Saturday. So I'd work on Friday evening, uh, Friday and Saturday. And working Friday and Saturday wasn't so bad, but I don't know if it was God or if it was me. But immediately the tithes and offerings fell off. Did they really? 50%. So when I went to this little place in, in South Louisiana to uh, start this work, I said, I'm not going to work. I'm just going to trust God for the whole thing. Mm. Well, we had about 60 pray through the first meeting in the American Legion Hall. I guess God's going to have to bless the American Legion in some way. <laughs> and uh, for them, them letting me have their building. And uh, uh, we'd clean out all the mess on Saturday night and have church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But uh, in uh, St. Francisville, I never did go to secular labor, mm -hmm. grocery store or whatever. But uh, I trusted God. And I'll say this for whatever it means publicly. Um, we was, as far as money is concerned, we're getting far more money at that place course, I only stayed there two and a half years. It grew exponentially, and we built the building and paid everything, paid it all off. I said that to say I didn't go to work, and the church at 
kept growing. It never did fall off. And there was more money coming in there than there was here when I come up here. Wow. So that shows, that to me solidified my thinking. So as a young man, pour your heart into what you're doing. I mean, that's what you call to do. I mean, just do it. There's something to be said for focusing all your attention. All of your attention. In one day. area. Your thinking, your imagination. your And so uh, we have around the world, we have people that I get called from all the time. It's incredible. From around the world. I got a call the other day from Africa. And... Uh, just to people from around the world. Now, this might be a little bit of a departure from what we've been talking about, but I'm looking at your books here in your beautiful office, and I see Clark's commentary. Is there a commentary that you like, that you use, that you would recommend to uh, saints and ministers if they were? The speaks, speaker's commentary. Ah, yes, sir. Do you have it? I do, yes, sir. The speaker's commentary. That's good for whether if you're going to preach or if you're going to just study the Bible. But that's not the best one. The best one in my attention, in my imagination, in my thinking is called the Preacher's Homiletic uh, Commentary. Oh, I don't have that one. I know. It's out of print now. Oh. But you can get it. You can. I just happened to check on the line uh, six or eight months ago to see, and it does have some of those books. So you'd have to get it used probably, yeah, and, but it's worth doing. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find it. I have it. The Speaker's Homiletics Commentary. Commentary. Okay. The, the Preacher's Homiletic Commentary. The Preacher's. Not the Speaker. Not Speaker. The Preacher's Homiletics Commentary. Okay. Right. It's about 30, 40 books. And uh, this office we're in making this... Uh, recording it's just one of three offices that I have uh, before you leave I'll take you back to the other one oh wonderful and then I got one at the church so I got books on all of them learn to read if you're going to be involved in the ministry <laughs> yes. or if you're going to be an engineer learn everything about engineering um, if you're going to be a scientist Study all you can. If you're going to be a preacher of the gospel, stay in study. Yes. Read night and day. If you don't like to read, don't go into the ministry. Amen. You need to pray. You need to read. Now, I'm 90, but I preach all over the world. But I don't use notes. Really? I'm speaking to a young man that probably uses notes. Yes, sir. I do not use notes. Wow. Uh, this past weekend, I spoke at a place here in town for one hour. The reason I spoke that long, I kind of felt bad, but the reason I spoke that long, they wanted to hear me talk. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So, that's crazy. But anyhow, I hear an old man talk. But they don't know what you don't know you don't know. And what you don't know, if, if you're 20 or 30 or 35, you don't know what happened before then. Yeah. You you can read it, but you hear it from somebody that stand there in flesh and blood, they like to hear that. 
But uh, I preached for one hour with no notes and stayed on subject. And my wife said, I didn't ramble a bit. <laughs> Which that's what I'm noted for, people think. But the people that come up in this church realize that I never was rambling. I had a strong point on whatever I was talking about. Even your wife will probably think as a kid, she remembered me just rambling. But tell her to think twice. I had a point in everything I did. You know, I was I was just talking to um, a friend of mine, and not long ago, and that grew up here, and he was mentioning the exactly what you just said that you were never rambling. You were purposely hitting points in a way that took people off guard, and. <laughs> People didn't even realize what was happening, but you were dealing with things strategically. Scott Sistrunk was here the other day. He's over North American Missions now. He's born and raised on the front pew. He started, because on my birthday, he started telling things about me. And I kept telling him, Scott, quit telling my secrets. <laughs> quit talking about my secrets. Of course, they weren't secrets, but... He knew, he knew, he spot on just about me. Of course, he studied preachers himself. You know Scott? Oh, yes, sir, yeah. And he's brilliant himself. Yeah, he likes to read and study. Yeah, I, I, uh, he was an instructor at Indiana Bible College. Part-time, he'd fly in, but I got to know him real well my senior year, and he's been a blessing he's to a me. Fine, fine young man. Great church planner. So speaking of books, I know that you're a really eclectic reader. You, you love to read faith-based books, of course, but you don't just read uh, religious religious books, uh, historical and things like that. Don't Do you feel like that's good advice for, for ministers to be well-rounded in, in their reading? That's absolutely, I think they should. In fact, my, if you look at my library, it's not, it's probably about 50-50 uh, religious type books are people that write about religious themes. The rest of it is about stuff like uh, Elon Musk, for instance. You like biographies and autobiographies? I like biographies. I love biographies. I sure do. If you were going to give just a couple of books offhand that you think people ought to read, what, what would be a couple books that you would recommend? Number one, need to read... The Meaning of Life. Mm. Second, you need to read Alexander Solzhenitsyn's Archipelago. Mm, yes. Uh, because those are the two of the biggest things that's happened in this 20th century and wars. And we're facing another one like right now. Sure does. But... The reason I say those, they have such deep meaning. Guy out there, uh, they asked me, said, do you have that book by Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Gulag Park. Uh, uh, I said, I do. He said, have you read it? I said, I read every page. I said, what do you mean? He said, some people buy it and use it for Doorstop. Right, paperweight. <laughs> I said, no, that's not me. I studied it. 
and study. Uh, in fact, the guy that wrote this first book I mentioned, his name is, um, uh, forget it right now, I'll call it later. I'm going to pull it up real quick while you're reminding us. The Meaning of Life. The Meaning of Life. Hey, Bub, will you Google The Meaning of Life for us real quick? Google the book, The Meaning of Life, and tell us who the author is. And uh, I can't think of the author. I know it. Oh, uh, I can't think of the author right now. Now, earlier you mentioned The Twelve Rules for Life. Yes. Is that a good That's book a that you recommend? That's a perfect book to read. Twelve Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Now, those are samples of books. The reason I mentioned those first two was to get you into, or get whoever's listening into, uh, the reason we're in the condition we're in. Mm. The human condition is very depraved Yeah. without God. Yeah. How far will we go? So you may think, I'll never do the things that Hitler did, mm. killing six million Jews. You don't know what you'll do without God. Yeah. How far you will go. So when you say you're a believer in God and believer in the Bible and its truths, you must mean it. You must mean it. Nathaniel Novacell, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it. Is that not correct? That's not correct. All right, let's find here. Victor Frankel? Victor Frankel. Victor E. Frankel. Okay. He lived through the Holocaust. That's right. That's right. I thought that name was familiar. That's he was a Holocaust survivor, wasn't he? Right. Yeah, and he was in the concentration camp. Right. That's right. Oh, yeah, That's and, people uh, need to read that. And Stalin was just as bad. Oh, my goodness. See, yeah. Between the two of them, they were responsible for, I think, 100 million people being killed. And isn't it incredible that we're moving towards socialism? Same way, tyranny. Yeah. It's almost like we're inviting it. Have you been yes. seeing these things happening in Canada or reading about it? Yes, it's, yes. It's it's terrifying because you know it's amazing. But Jordan Peterson was one of the first ones. He would not call a person by the pronoun that they wanted, but by the pronoun they presented themselves. Yes, if they presented themselves as a woman. He called them she. Mm -hmm. If it's a woman presenting themselves at a man, he called them he. Mm. But they resented that in that Ontario where he was teaching. Yeah. And so they called him before the Federal Commission at uh, Toronto, I guess. I don't believe that's where it was. But... He challenged them, and we didn't think that'd be down in America, but it was here in the blink of an eye. Blink of an eye. And uh, we were doing the same thing. The, uh, he started his, he was in the middle of his uh, writing 12 Rules for Life. When it all blew up. Right. But we're in a... Old pastor used to stay up in Oklahoma where this world's in a plunge. Yeah. But the good thing, news about it, is we all won't get to ground. Yeah, that's right. We'll be raptured and taken out of here. Could you have foreseen this 
America being where it is right not now, really. 60 years ago. No. Not, not 10 years ago. Not even 10 years ago. No. By no means. It shows how rapidly things can decline. Yes. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's very much incredible. Well, I know you've got uh, at least one or two funny church stories you could tell us before we, we wrap up. But what's a, what's a, from your ministry, from pastoring, what's one of the funny, funny stories that you can recall? I can't think offhand, but one of the ones that the church thinks is the funniest <laughs> is that I was in the middle of Bible study on Wednesday evening, and on Wednesday we had full house. Because they like to come to church and hear the preaching. Yeah. And uh, I was just in the middle and liked about 30, 40 minutes winding up. I had a, a sister in the church who made good biscuits. Mm. And I said, Sister Maddie B., would you please stand up? She stood up, and I said, you're now dismissed. Go home and make me some cathead biscuits and some syrup. And I'll be there as soon as I can get rid of the rest of these people. <laughs> and people think that's the funniest thing in the world. I don't know why. Uh, uh, things that have happened. Uh, just different things. Is that one of those things that actually happened? or is oh, it, it, actually, it happened. actually happened? It actually happened, yeah. But the people have not let me leave it down yet. That's so funny. I love that. But that's a kind of that's a kind of atmosphere we had in the church. Yeah, it was not stayed and stilted, and had nothing to do with religion. I tell folks, come to church. We may not be as religious as you think, but we'll have a good time. I promise you. Yeah, I love that, and we do have a good time, and I enjoy every bit of everything about church. I love. Regardless of what it is, even if somebody's fussing, I still like it. Sometimes that makes it fun, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes it fun. (laughs) I like a little little fire. Someone told me a story yesterday. I was preaching in Louisiana, and the pastor told me um, that there was a meeting at your church, and a young man was being really disruptive during the service, and... um, really disruptive talking while other people were talking just real loud and you walked down and whispered in his ear and immediately he stood up straight and and was straight as rail and absolutely controlled for the rest of the entire service and all the ministers gathered around and said what word of wisdom did god give you to speak into that young man and cause him to to just calm down like that and you smiled real big and said well, I just leaned over and whispered in his ear, if you don't sit down and be quiet, I'm calling the police. <laughs> <laughs> That's all correct, except that the guy was on the floor uh, making a fool of himself. Really? And people couldn't hold him down. Really? So I knelt down and whispered in his ear. I told him by his first name. I said, if you don't behave yourself and straighten up, I'm going to call the police. And everybody around that thought, oh, I've never seen a man with so much power. Yeah. <laughs> just, and, I, and he got up and was the nicest guy you've ever seen. That's something else. And in fact, his sister still comes to church. Wow. So was he grown at the time or was he? Oh, a no. He's just a big old boy, about 18. Oh, oh, he was a teenager. Oh, 19. I see. Wow. That's amazing. Well, 
Bishop, we're going to try to twist your arm to do a uh, try a food with us and rate it in just a moment here. I, I hope you'll stick around for it. I'll be fine. But if not, the ladies will. I love you, Bishop. Thank you so much for being on Apostolic Voice today and taking your time. Thank you for having me. And we're back with Bishop Craft and Sister Martha Craft, and we're going to be doing a special edition of Gross Good Great. Yes. Woo-hoo. And all the French families here as well. Yes. My lovely wife, Taylor. Hello. Julia Lynn and Talmadge is here as well. And we are trying, sweetheart, can you open these and pass these out? Yes, I sure will. Today we're going to be trying uh, Oreo <laughs> confetti. I don't even know. Confetti flavored chocolate yeah, confetti, confetti birthday cake. With sprinkles. With sprinkles, sprinkles, Oreo cookies. And you all know the rules. It has to be something we've never tried, so we've never tasted this. Uh, Bishop is getting one now. Sister Craft is getting one. It looks so gross. It looks. It looks delicious. I'm anticipating this tasting like a regular Oreo myself. But it, I don't think and so. so. Everyone, I think it's going to taste really good. Everyone knows the rules also. One, two, and three is gross. Four, five, six, seven is good. Eight, nine, ten is great. And uh, I'm going to let Bishop and Sister Craft go first, and we're going to see what they think. Before anyone goes, it just looks like an, the... Oreo cookie has Are been you sitting ready? on the We're ready. All right. Party. Here we go. All right. It does have a chocolate filling. I do see that, Bob. Yeah, it's the difference. I like That's it. That's a nine. That's a nine? Oh, he likes it. <laughs> really? I, 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 I sure do a did. 10 on this one. Really? Yeah. Really? Mm. So you give it a nine. Uh, Bishop, nine. Bishop gives it a nine. You give it a 10? Yep. Tim. You know what? I like it too. It is That's delicious. It is very good. Get some milk. Mm-hmm. And it's be a twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Bub, what do you got? That was really good, but looks really gross. I think I'm gonna rate it an eight. An eight? eight Alright. Yeah. Julia, what do you think? <laughs> this is our shy one. <laughs> We have to shove her into the microphone. <laughs> seven? Seven. Okay. Ten, nine, eight, seven. I know, right? What do you think? Okay, I'll give it a nine. It's it's delicious. Yep. It is so, it is so good. good. Yeah, I'm giving it a nine, too. It's really yeah, good. I think it's yeah. a problem. It's really good. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all, all on the same page, the smart ones. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the smart ones. the only one. difference really is the spectrum. The sprinkles. Yeah, otherwise, it tastes pretty it much tastes like It tastes pretty much like an Oreo. I didn't really the taste the chocolate. chocolate. No, I couldn't really taste the chocolate. But I did mm-hmm. taste the crunch of the sprinkles, which I like. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is very good. Okay. So, go, so oh, 110. I guess Oreo. Did Oreos turn 110? Oh, wow. That's what it is. It's their birthday. Oreo's 110th birthday chocolate confetti. So go out and buy this. We recommend it because it's very, very good. They probably won't have it anymore. So get that's right. You better get it while you can because it's probably going to run out. So thank you so much for listening. Bishop, thank you. Sister Craft, thank you. We love y'all. All right. Thank rate our, you. Rate our podcast five stars and leave a really good review. That's three paragraphs long. Yes. <laughs> and send us a message as well. We love to listen That's to right. you. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye.
Hello and welcome to Apostolic Voice. I'm your host, Ryan. Fr- 